0: So, if you do have a Bible, open to John chapter 3, 1 through 6. And I think she should. Uh, are, we, are we working on the slides today, by any chance? Do we have the slides? John chapter 3, 1 through 6? Okay. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what here. There we go. There we go. Okay. So if you would, with me, stand up. We're going to read the God, God's Word this morning, okay? Now this is, it's Jesus and the Pharisee, Nicodemus. That's, that's our focus today, all right? So it says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Father, we come to you right now thanking you that your word frees us from the things that hold us back from truly knowing who you are. Lord, forgive us if if we've been a Pharisee in our hearts, and we ask and pray today that our trust and our relying is 100% on you and what you did on the cross, so go before us now with your word, that your word speaks, and that you are glorified in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat, so. And I apologize for having my back to you while I was reading, I I left my Bible in the car. (laughs) Yes, stone him, stone him, okay, all right. (laughs) Okay, again, the big question. Well, first of all, who was Nicodemus? Well, obviously he was a Pharisee, right? But what is a Pharisee? We kind of have an idea, but I kind of wanted to give a little background. See, the Pharisee comes from the Hebrew word parushi, parushi, and it means to be separated or a separated one. They were known for their strict observance to oral tradition, religious, and written laws. They prided themselves on their outward appearance, their outward works, the things that they did, the things that they didn't do, right? And their reliance on their own ability to keep the law. Not just the Ten Commandments, but the 613 ordinances that are found in the the writings of the law. So they were were pretty strict individuals. Uh, The historian Josephus, he says, and I quote, That the Pharisees are considered the most expert and accurate in keeping the Jewish law. Which probably is why Jesus had some issues with them. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus referred to the Pharisees a few times in some kind of unkind ways. Uh, Brood of vipers, which is one of them. That's not too nice, right? Uh, Whitewashed tombstones. I mean, he was kind of down on these guys. And there's a reason why. There's a reason why. It's because they were focusing on their own reliance for salvation versus the gift of God, right? Uh, Paul. Paul was a Pharisee, remember? Remember when Stephen was being uh, stoned, the first martyr of the church? Who was that young Pharisee that was probably holding the coats of everybody and, and, and telling him, go, go get this guy, go get this? It was, it was Paul, right? And then, of course, on the road to Damascus, not too much time later, Here he was, the zealous Pharisee, going to persecute this this cult of Christians. Man, he was a Pharisee. In his heart, he knew that he was doing the right thing for God, getting rid of these people that believe it's about a relationship instead of the law and the rules and regulations. But see, that was Paul. But after that road, encounter with the Lord Jesus, this is how he changed his attitude about keeping the law. And that's found in uh, Philippians 3, 3-7. to So in Philippians 3, 3-7, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews... Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Very self-righteous, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But then he goes on to say, But what things were gain to me, I have counted loss for Christ. Boy, what what a transformation from a person who was willing to hold the coats to stone an individual to a person who understands, look, it's not about this. And I wanted to mention here the word gain, the things that were gained to me. Uh, that, that Greek word is kerdos, and it means advantage. Well, what do you mean advantage? Well, Paul is saying that those things, all that keeping the law, all the tradition, all those things that I did in my flesh, I thought they were to my advantage. What advantage? Well, it produced righteousness in me, right? That's what his mindset was. The mindset of those that are pharisaical and the way they think, it was an advantage to him to gain righteousness for God. But what does he say? He says, no, 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 no. Those things I count loss. And it's not just that, eh, they're not, they're not worth anything. Paul understands that, that word, which actually means zemia, it's to my own detriment. You see, a person or even a faith that presents that you can obtain God's righteousness and holiness through keeping rules and traditions and the law, or you name it, whatever it is, it actually damages you. It's to your detriment because it creates a wall thinking, I'm good, I'm all right. I didn't do these things, and I do do these things, so me and the Lord, we're set, we're good. It creates a detriment in our own relationship to knowing who Christ is. See, Paul realized after that road to Damascus that there was something greater, much greater than following the oral traditions, the rules, the rituals. It's not about what I do and don't do. And in Colossians 2, 20, 23, he tells us, therefore, if you died to Christ, and he's talking about believers, right? If you died to Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not use, do not taste, do not handle, which all concerning things perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance, an appearance of wisdom in self uh, um, imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh no value. So doing those things, trying to maintain the law, trying to do the the good things and not do the bad things, which, you know, don't get me wrong, it's a good thing to try to not do bad things, right? Okay. But doing it for righteousness is not what we're talking about. So these things have no value, no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Why? Because I'm telling you, my flesh, your flesh is weak. You will fulfill the lusts of your flesh unless you are walking by the Spirit. And Paul understands that. We need to have the strength of the Holy Spirit inside of us in order not to fulfill the lusts of our flesh. Amen? Okay, so, going on. Of course, uh, he, was, he was a Pharisee, a ruler and teacher of the Jews. Now, they were, the, the, the Pharisees were part of the ruling religious class in the Sanhedrin. Now remember, the word parushi means to separate, right, or a separated one. They created such a distance between themselves and the common folks that there was this, this almost a caste system. They looked down their nose at the normal individuals because only the Pharisees were able to keep the law. But you folks, oh, I got to pray for you because I don't even know if you're going to make it. That was their attitude, right? And it created a separation between the people and the religious system. Which is not what the Lord wants, right? He wants us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. He wants us to let people see the Lord through us. So there's no division that we all can become one in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? But they weren't doing that. Let's see here. Um, so then the question then. The question comes to this. What was he coming to the Lord by night for? Have you ever wondered why he came by night? Why didn't he come during the daytime? Well, you know, you can have your own opinion. I have my own opinion. I don't know really why. It doesn't really spell it out why. My personal opinion is he did it because he was afraid of the Sanhedrin. He was afraid that if he was perceived as a follower of Jesus, that he would have lost his position, his power, his ruling, his everything, because they controlled it all. So why did he come by night? Well, I think he was somewhat of an honest man, too. If you think about it, in the verses we just read, he he called Jesus rabbi. Well, that was a term of respect. So he was definitely showing respect to Jesus. That was a term of respect. And he also made the statement, look, we know that you must be of God because all the things that you do, you can't do these things unless God is with you. So I I think he was somewhat of an honest man. I think he was truly seeking truth. And that's why he came to Jesus by night. But you know what? I think if we're honest, we can kind of relate to him, to Nicodemus. Because I don't always seek the Lord in truth. In my past, I've, I've done a lot of rule-keeping and pharisaical mindset in my, in my past. But it's not about that. It's about relationship. So whatever the reason Nicodemus had for coming at night, I think uh, we have to focus in on what Jesus did. Jesus, after listening to what he said, he went straight into the main idea, which was, you must be born again. Whatever question that the Lord already knew was in Nicodemus' mind, Jesus was like a laser beam, and he hit the important thing. You must be born again. So let's look at John 3.3 again. He says, Jesus answered him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus was blown away because, remember, the scripture says that the the natural man doesn't understand spiritual things, right? And he definitely was a natural man. He's like, wait a minute. How can a man go back into his mother's womb? That's not going to happen. So he was thinking in terms of earthly view. But Jesus was, of course, always higher. He's talking about the spiritual view, right? So he's blown away by this statement. And then through verses 4 and 6, Jesus says, look, guys, or look, Nicodemus, okay? That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, I'm going to take a little aside right now. and the, The faith that I was born into and grew up in until I was 19 years of age, we believe that you must be baptized to be saved. You must be baptized to be saved using this scripture right here. Because it said, look, you know, you got to be born of the water and born of the spirit. So they understood that as to me, well, that means baptism. Because, you know, you get baptized, you know, you're you're dunking, you're raised up. It's an outward expression of an inward change, right? Okay, we all agree with that. However, they didn't understand that the very next verse, Jesus clarified it. That which is born of the flesh, speaking of water, is of the flesh. And that which is born of the spirit, born again of the spirit of God, is spirit. We all have in common one thing. We all are born in water. Every one of us are kept in the the amniotic fluid in our mother's womb. We all are born into water. But not all of us are born into spirit. And that comes when we understand at that one point, whatever it is at your age level, that you are a sinner and you need the power of God to come upon you and to forgive you and to change your life. And that's being born again. So then, being born again. Being born again. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. And we got them all on the screen, so you don't have to flip too much. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then also in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. Well, so those two verses kind of let me know what what it really means to be born again. I've got to have a change in my mind, in my spirit, by the indwelling of God himself. In other words, I need to have my mind renewed and transformed, that I do not rely on myself. And I've got a list of what I call the seven mys. The seven mys. The mindset of Nicodemus, the mindset that I had for many, many years growing up. See, I used to rely on my abilities. I used to rely on my strengths. I used to rely on my biblical knowledge. I used to rely on my church attendance. I mean... The way I grew up, I was there every Sunday morning for Sunday school, Sunday for church service, Sunday evening, Wednesday, and whatever else they said that I should go to. I might as well have had a cot in the back room. I spent most of my time at church. Well, I relied on my church attendance, too. My good works or my absence of bad things, I prided myself on what I did. Kind of like the Pharisees, right? They prided themselves on what they could do. My offerings. What I could give back to the Lord. Not that that's a bad thing, but I was relying on those things to kind of work my way. And then finally, the seventh thing is my comparison to others. In other words, (laughs) I'm not bad as that guy over there, so I I must be okay. Well, in Luke 18, Luke 18 Verses 10 through 14 is a prime example of that mindset or the seven minds of a Pharisee. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. And standing afar off... He standing afar off, one would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Man, that was like me. I was trusting in those seven mice for many, many, many years. Many, many, many years. So it's real simple. God doesn't grade on a curve. You ever have a class in school and the teacher in that class graded on a curve? Anybody besides me? Okay, yeah. So, I mean, in a normal class, you got an 85%. You're thinking, I got a solid B. But no, almost everybody in class got in the 90s, so your 85 became a D or an F. See, God doesn't grade on a curve. Because his standard is so high, you can't reach it anyway. You could never attain holiness or godliness in anything that we could ever do, ever. In a million lifetimes, you cannot do enough or not do enough bad things to earn the salvation that Jesus paid for you on the cross. So we've got to get out of that mindset of trusting in what I can do, the seven minds. It also kind of reminds me of that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.3. One of my favorite verses, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, what does that mean, blessed are the poor in spirit? I'm going to tell you right now, I've been poor quite a few times. There's been times, that, you know, eating you know, beans and cornbread for many days. I was poor, but the, the conjunction is poor in spirit. So the word poor there means to be destitute, to be reduced to begging, no wealth, influence, position, or honor. So the whole focus here is, until we get to the point where we understand that we're bankrupt spiritually in relation to God, then we're never going to be born again. You have to get to that point where you understand I am absolutely spiritually bankrupt. Until that point, I am relying on myself. I'm basically a Pharisee. So I'm going to give you a real quick testimony to to get you to understand what I'm talking about, if you don't already. Again, my earliest uh, memory of church was about three and a half years old in the children's department. (sighs) Raised in church, did all the things, like I said, that I was supposed to do. All my time was spent there. Uh, When I was 16 years of age, uh, they came to me, the elders of the church came to me and said, Look, Mike, um, you know, we've been watching you all these years, and you... You seem to be just the kind of young man that we want to, to bring in and begin to start grooming and, and helping to raise up. And they asked me to be uh, an usher in the church. Now, in the, the denomination that I came from, that was unheard of. You had to have been in your 30s at least to be a part of the usher team because you were a representation of, of, of leadership there. So I was like, wow, 16, and they're asking me to do this. Again, kind of puffed up a little bit, right? So I did that, right? Spent all my time doing things, helping out, ministering to the other young folks in the youth department, right? I mean, my life was totally wrapped up in what I thought was God. But my life was totally wrapped up in the seven mys, what I could do, how I felt good about my relationship with the Lord. Well, got out of school did a little bit of college, eventually got married, was married for 16 years, and then that person decided to leave me for another individual. And I was devastated. I couldn't understand how God would let this happen because I was doing pretty much for many of those years the things that God called me to do, I thought, to be a good upstanding young man, how could this happen? And then a secretary at at my school, I was a teacher at that time, gave me this book. And it was called um, Single, Married, Divorced. And in that book showed me that my identity, my worth was not wrapped up in another individual. That my worth and my identity was solely in the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, it was like the, <laughs> the light bulb went off. And I realized, that even though I thought I was saved, look, guys, I, I went down at eight years old, you know, and said the sinner's prayer at, at youth camp at eight years old, and I thought I was saved. But looking back, well, I went down because John did and Mark did. I mean, it was just something that we did. You know, it was expected of you, right? I mean, growing up the way I grew up, you were expected to go down and say the prayer and then get baptized, and I did all those things. But I'm telling you, it was a work of my flesh. It wasn't, a, it wasn't the fact that I truly realized that I was bankrupt spiritually. So at that point, reading that book that this wonderful woman gave me, who's sitting right there, by the way, my, my wife, Leah, um, I realized that it was Jesus that I needed and nobody else. And I, <laughs> I said that sinner's prayer again, and I think for the first time I really understood what it meant that I was no longer relying upon what I could do, my abilities, my strengths, my church attendance, the things that I did, the things that I didn't do, Con- comparing myself to other people. Look, I-, I worked in the oil fields for years, and those, those are some rough rednecks. I mean, there's some rough dudes, man. Drugs, drinking, you- I mean, the language. And I always kind of stood off and prided myself. Whew. Ooh, ooh, kind of like the Pharisee praying, right? I stood off and said, man, thank thank you, Jesus, that I'm not like those guys. Man, what a pharisaical heart that I had. And it wasn't until that point that I realized that I had nothing, everything that I thought was dear to me, I had lost. Kind of like what Paul says, everything that I thought was my advantage, I count as loss, as damage to me. And so now I finally realized it's about Jesus. It's not about me. And so I said that prayer again, and I'm telling you for the first time, I really felt the weight of my sin lift off. I don't know if you've ever felt that. I did. Others have told me that when they said that prayer, they felt just a release in their body, and that's that's how I felt. So I want you to look at uh, Isaiah 59, 1 through 2. Isaiah 59, 1 through 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Man, that's where I was. That's exactly where I was. And if I, I want you to think about this. You know, My lifestyle had a lifestyle of appearance, like Paul talked about, the appearance of being born again, but I didn't have a relationship. I had religion. I was working out my religion with the Lord. I felt that I was a good person. But I, I wasn't. I was a modern-day Pharisee living in America. You know, Pharisees weren't just 2,000 years ago, folks. They rise up in our heart all the time when we began to trust in other things other than Jesus. You need to remember that. So this uh, Isaiah 59, 1 through 2, you know, our, our sin has hidden his face from you. I want you to think a minute, and it really hit me years ago. You know when Jesus was on the cross, and uh, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he say that? Well, if you think about it, that one instance in eternity, he, he had complete union with the Father since the beginning of eternity, forever, right? Total unity. But because of my sin, my sin, make it personal, My sin, and your sin too, that was put upon him on the cross. God cannot look upon sin. God cannot be in union with sin. That's why it says that your sins have hidden his face from you. So when Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because the sin of Mike Mondary was so placed on Jesus at that time that the Father had to break that separation for that instant in eternity. That's the first time that the Lord ever felt that separation from the Father. Man, what a a feeling that, that brought to me that my sin is what caused that. And, of course, because of that, it made me realize that I need to have my mind renewed. I need to have my spirit renewed. In other words, I need to be born again. So I got a question. You may say, well, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in God, so I'm okay. Well, that's how I thought, too, growing up. I believe in God. I got baptized. I did the things that I was supposed to do and didn't do the things that I shouldn't do. But I still didn't have a relationship. Because what I thought belief meant was a works system. It wasn't a relationship. Well, think about it. Look at Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So it's a twofold thing there. So that that belief, what, what kind of belief is that? Well, that belief, and I've talked about it before in uh, Bible studies and home fellowship. That word "believe" is "pistuo," and it means to place total confidence and trust in. You see, I was putting confidence and trust in the seven mys, what I could do, my abilities, da-da-da-da-da. I wasn't putting full trust and confidence in what Christ did. So the demons, think about it, in James 2.10, right? It says, you believe that there's one God, well, whoop you do. you do well. The demons believe too, but they tremble. You see, so there's got to be something more than just belief, the word belief. You've got to put your trust, you've got to put your confidence in him and not yourself. See, I said, I believe in God, yeah, but I did all these things out of my flesh. Well, the demons, they believe too. Think about it. They know who he is. They saw him in glory before he came to earth. So they absolutely know he's God in the flesh. But they don't put trust or confidence in him. They tremble at his feet. So the word belief is is very, very important. So the question is, do I have that head knowledge of who Jesus is or the heart knowledge of who Jesus is? And that's something that each and every one of us have to decide on ourselves. Do I just acknowledge who he is, or do I want to have him in my heart and have a relationship with him? Do I want to trust in myself apart from what he did, or do I want to become prostrate before him and fully become bankrupt spiritually and accept him into my heart? That's the question. So then the real big question is, where are you placing your confidence? Where are you placing your trust? Is it in the seven minds? Is it the do's and don'ts? Is it tradition? I mean, we, we, live in a, we live in a part of the country where church tradition is very, very important. I mean, everybody goes to church. I mean, we came from, we came from Texas by way of California, I won't say that too loudly, okay? And man, if you went to church in California, you were an a f- on-fire Christian because nobody goes to church out there. Very few people compared to the population are church-going folks. But we come here, and everybody goes to church. Everybody does, for the most part. But then you see them during the week, and it's like, I thought I saw you at church on Sunday with the language they use and the things that they're doing, and you, you kind of scratch your head and you wonder, that, that doesn't match up. Because we have a cultural Christianity at times. Not that you guys are cultural Christians, I'm not saying that. But we live in a cultural Christianity where it's kind of expected. It's kind of like the traditions, the rules, what's expected of you, do this, don't do that. Kind of a modern-day system of Phariseeism, Okay. So just because we go to church, and by the way, I'm I'm a retired deputy sheriff, okay, so I can say this. Just because you go to church on Sunday doesn't mean you're a Christian any more than when you go to Dunkin' Donuts, it makes you a cop, okay? It's not about where you go or what you do. It's about who you know and what he did for you. That's what it's about. So being born again, what does born again look like then? What does my life look like? What should it look like? Well, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, and we already looked at it, so I'm just going to read it again. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All thi- old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Well, two points on that. The first one is this new creation. That promise of being a new creation is only, and I repeat, is only for those in Christ. You're not a new creation until you understand that you are spiritually bankrupt and you become born again with the Spirit of God. If you're not at that point, you're not a new creation. And maybe that's why you and I had a tough time growing up, staying away from those things. I knew it was wrong, but, man, there was such a pull to certain things. And I did my best to stay away from those things, and it's because I didn't have the Spirit of God that empowers me to live out a life of righteousness because the flesh is weak, right? The flesh is weak. <clears throat> okay, so, second point. People will see a new creation in me. My life will exhibit a radical transformation from being the self-focused individual that I was to being a new creation in Christ, meaning my desires, my thoughts, my attitudes, my goals, they should change. The way I was when I, before I came to Christ what I thought was important, my goals in life, what it meant to be successful, all those things should change when you become a believer, being born again. If, they don't, if nothing's changed, folks, if, if you're the same person you were before you said that prayer, as you are now, as Tim has said before, I, I would question whether you truly are born again. Not that we're perfect, don't get me wrong, okay? We, we all still live in this body of flesh. We're still going to fail, we're still going to stumble, we're still going to make mistakes. But the difference is, is there a visible, ongoing change in your life? Or are you the same person you were 10 years ago as you are today? So let's look at Ephesians 22 to tw- uh, 4, 22-24. Ephesians 4, 22-24. Paul encourages us to to put off concerning our former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you would put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, you've got to put off the old man. And that cannot happen. It cannot happen unless you are born again. Spurgeon said this, and this, I'm telling you, man, this this kind of blew me away. Spurgeon said this about this new creation we're talking about, this new man that you become, or new woman. I don't want to be sexist here. The work of the new creation is even greater than God's work of creating the world. Now let that sink in. The work of a new creation, changing my heart, my thoughts, my desires, my passions, my goals, is even greater than than God's work of creating the world. He goes on to say, My brethren, it is more difficult in such terms as are applicable to omnipotence or Almighty God. It was more difficult to create a Christian than to create a world. What was there in the beginning when God made the world? Nothing. But nothing didn't stand in God's way. But my brethren, in our hearts... In my heart, in Mike's heart, while there was nothing that could help God, there was much that could oppose and did oppose him. In my heart, there was so much that did stand against the Lord. Our stubborn wills, our deep prejudices, our ingrained love of iniquity and sin, all these great God did oppose you and aimed at thwarting your designs for my life. Yes, great God, it was great to make the world, but greater to create a new creature in Christ Jesus. Wow. My heart was so far away from him. I was focused so much on doing those seven mys that it just created a wall between me and the Lord. I withstood him with every ounce of my being because I relied on myself. I relied on my abilities, my strengths, you name it. It was about what I could do. So yeah, maybe, maybe it's true. It, it's kind of hard to think that creating a new heart in an individual was more difficult than creating the world. But man, if you think about it, there was nothing that withstood the Lord in creation. He spoke it into being, and there it was. But you see, the scripture says that our hearts become hardened. That word hardened basically means to be like a petrified tree. Our hearts become petrified like a tree. And we get so set against him in our own wills and what we want in our own desires. And we have to submit to him and be born again. So when we became born again, those things that were in our hearts that did oppose God are changed and replaced with the living spirit of God that gives us those new desires. Again, we're not perfect, but he begins to process, that process of sanctification that set-apartness. Not that we're perfect. We're still going to make mistakes again. But it's a life-going process. You know, some of us, it takes many, many, many years to become sanctified. Others, they get saved, and wow, (laughs) they're a full-blown Christian. They're on fire, and you can see it. But others like me, you know, we're a little slow sometimes. It takes us a while. The Lord works on us over a period of time. So if you're asking yourself today then, what is it with me? Am, am I really doing the right thing? Do I have a real relationship with the Lord? Well, I've got two easy ways to check your heart. The first one is, what's growing in your life? You know, the old saying, what you feed will grow, right? What is growing in your life spiritually? How much time and energy do you put into seeking the Lord? Now I'm gonna tell you, man, I and mean, you may say, well, wait, that's that's putting rules and regulations again. Well, in a way, but it's like this: I spent so much time and effort pursuing what I wanted, my desires, my goals, my ambitions, what I thought was the right thing to do, and I put pff, very little time into seeking the Lord. It's because my heart was far away from Him. I was relying upon myself. And the second thing is: look, Jesus was real clear in, in uh, John fifteen four. John fifteen four. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You see, I was abiding in myself. I was not in the vine. All the things that I thought were great that I did were a a waste. They were damage to me because it created a separation in my heart. So, two questions again. What's growing in you? Are you... Really trying to seek the Lord? Are you setting apart time for Him? Are you allowing His Word to feed you on a daily basis? Are you in prayer? You know, we we talk about Acts two forty two, and that's kind of the basis of the early church, right? I mean they came together and there was, you know, three or four things. I call it four things, I refer it to the table, right? Um, they were in the word. They were in the doctrine, the word. If, if the word's not getting into you on a daily basis, then, you know, it's going to be a rough road every week. Prayer. That's how we talk to the Lord. That's how he speaks to our heart. Fellowship. Hint, hint. Wednesdays and Thursdays and fellowships, okay? Fellowship and then worship. Now, okay, you know, this is wonderful worship up here. I, I'm telling you, when we came here a few years ago and Dan was playing his guitar by himself, I was bawling in the back because it was just a spirit of worship. Worship is extremely important. People get saved through worship, even before the Word of God comes forward. So worship is important. So those four things. Now, it's a table, right? You can take one of those legs off, and it can still stand, right? But you gotta be careful, careful where you put the potted plant, right? If you put it on the corner where the leg's gone, it goes over. But you can, still, you can still make it through with three legs. You take two of those legs off, man, I don't think that table is going to stand up, right? So the idea is we should have these things in our life, and that comes from abiding. We need to be abiding in the Lord, and if we're not abiding in him, what does he tell us? You can't bear any fruit because you have to be connected to him, and that connection is by being born again by the Spirit of God, no longer relying upon yourself. So the Greek word there means meno, and there's two applications. The first is in reference to place. Like, I want you to abide right here until I tell you to move. It's a place abiding. Like, stay. I want you to stay right here. Terry, stay right here. The second application has to do with condition. Not place, but condition. And that means to remain as one or not to become different from another. Oh, man, that really spoke to my heart. You see, the Lord wants me to abide in Him, to be like Him, to put my hope and trust in Him, to be led whatever direction by Him, to be in communion with Him, to hear from Him, to be there with Him, not to be like another. What did Jesus say? I, I want all of you to be one as I and the Father are one, right? Right? In complete unity, and that only happens if I'm tearing or staying, right, and not wanting to be like another. You see that that Pharisaical heart and mind wants to be like another. I don't want to do the things you want me to do. I want to do what makes me feel good about myself, but all those things are damage. So again, we need to be born again. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise. You're like me, like I was. So the question here is, if we don't see any evidence of change in any of those areas that we talked about, in abiding and about being a part of the Lord and about becoming spiritually bankrupt and understanding that I totally need to focus on him and not on my abilities, my seven whys, right? Then you need to ask yourself like I did. And by the way, when I did ask that question, I was about 35 years old. So from three and a half years old all the way up to almost 35 years old, I thought I was born again. I thought I was a Christian, but I totally was relying on myself. So ask yourself, am I I relying on Christ or am I relying on what I can do? Am I relying on religion, tradition, or the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Do I truly have a trust and confidence in Christ or how I was raised. Oh, my, my grandfather, or my father, or my uncle. They're pastors, and I was born in church. I'm good. Well, that's me. I grew up in church, but I wasn't good. So ask yourself, if, are you relying on those things other than Christ? And if the answer is yes, like mine was, then what are, we, what are we called to do? Jesus said you must be born again. And that's where we are right now. We need to be born again individuals. So what I want to do right now, I'm, I'm going I'm to ask the worship team to come up. I know we're, we're a little bit short of time here, or long on time, I should say. But I want to give everybody an opportunity. And I, and I want to give this opportunity for this reason. As you know, if you watch the news, and if you hear what Pastor Tim talks about a lot, um, we are in the last days. We truly are. The things that prophecy has told us about, that will happen in the last days, we are seeing it played out on our TVs every single day. So we know that the time is close. And I don't want any of us to miss the opportunity to be able to meet Jesus face to face and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, if it was me, you know, at 35 years of age, if it would have happened then, I'm telling you, I had religion. I didn't have relationship. And I wouldn't have heard him say, well done, good and faithful servant. What I would have heard him say is, depart from me and become well done. Okay? If you know what I'm saying. So look, this is about how I grew up. I trusted in myself. If that's you, if you've always trusted in yourself or your church or your religion... You need to throw it aside. The scripture tells us to lay aside all those things that so easily entangles us. What that means is it holds on to you and pulls you back from reaching the goal, from finishing the race. So I I want every eye closed. I want every head bowed. And I'm really serious because I want people right now, I want every one of you to think of yourself like I was, relying upon my abilities and who I, I was apart from Christ. And if that's you, if you've been trusting on what you can do and your tradition and you understand right now, today, I need to be truly born again. I need to be spiritually bankrupt and understand that I could never attain salvation in a million lifetimes. Just slip your hand up. Let me see you. That was me at 35. Praise God. Praise you. Praise you there. God bless you. God bless you in the back. Anybody else? Praise God. You see, you are like me. Trusting in yourself. Praise you. God bless you in the back. Hallelujah. Now, there may be somebody here that you don't even... This is the first time you ever heard this. Maybe you never even went to church, but it makes sense. And that's because the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart right now. And if that's you, I'm going to give one more opportunity. If you need to make a commitment to Jesus. See, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. So publicly right now, if that's you, if you've never made a commitment, not just a rededication, but if you've never made a commitment, slip your hand up. One more opportunity. Praise the name of Jesus. God bless you in the back. Well, Father, we praise your holy name. We thank you for your word because your word is life, and it does change us. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that without you, We are completely destitute and that we could never gain righteousness with anything that we could ever do. Thank you for salvation that comes from putting our trust and confidence in you. And those that are online, that are watching or listening, we pray that if there's any of you that are out there that have made that rededication or that commitment right now, that you would let us know. Let us know that you made that step So, Father, we thank you so much. We're going to give it time to worship and prayer now. And, And those of you that rededicated your life or accepted the Lord for the first time, don't leave here without coming up and getting prayed for. That salvation is complete. If you fully trusted in Christ just then, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and the angels are rejoicing in heaven. But let us rejoice with you also. If you have needs, if you're sick, if you have problems, if, if things are falling apart at home, whatever it is, don't leave here without coming forward and letting somebody pray for you. There'll be those that are up here, and I know that Tracy, she, she'll be up here too. Don't leave here without getting touched by somebody today. Amen? God bless you.